Good morning. Our sermon reading this morning comes from Proverbs 1, verses 1 to 7. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning, and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Let me pray as we begin our series in Proverbs. Dear Lord, as we come to your word now, May these words of my mouth and this meditation of my heart be pleasing in your sight, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. When I was in year seven, I went on you know, school camp, uh, which everyone does, and one of the activities we had to do was orienteering. And so we had to navigate about five kilometres just using a topographical map and a compass. And you very quickly discover that having the right tools uh, is only useful if you know how to use them. Uh, So, for example, when the lines get really tightly spaced, that means it's either really steep, and if they're really, really tightly spaced, it means it's a cliff. And that's kind of an important detail because you can be really close to your goal on the map and yet really far away. Uh, It also turns out that there's a big difference between north on the map and north on your compass. And so, you know, the longer you walk, the the more wrong you become and uh, you can end up a very long way from where you would like to be. So for this whole orienteering thing to work, you need to know how to use the tools and, of course, you need to know where you are going. And that's equally true for Proverbs. Uh, Proverbs is all about living wisely, but if we're going to find wisdom, then we also need to know how to read the book and we need to be very clear about the end goal. And so as we take our first steps into Proverbs, let me see if I can help us today to just get our bearings. And it's made a little bit easier with the opening of the book. The Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. So let me take you through the abridged version, highly abridged, of kings of Israel. All right, so Saul was the first king of Israel. The people asked for a king like the nations around them, and that's exactly what they got. He was an impressive figure, but he cared more about power and popularity than he cared about God. And so God took away his kingship from him, but also from his family line. David is the second king of Israel, and despite all of his flaws, he's described as a man after God's own heart. He is most famous for killing Goliath slightly less famous for writing most of the Psalms, and most infamous for his affair with Bathsheba. Uh, David ends up marrying Bathsheba, their first son tragically dies, and their second son is Solomon. 
And Solomon was known for his wisdom. And the Bible is very clear that his wisdom is a gift from God. So in the passage that we read earlier, I will give you a wise and discerning heart so that there will, be, there will never have been anyone like you, nor will there ever be. The book then goes on in 1 Kings to talk about his wisdom. So, for example, he spoke 3,000 proverbs and his songs numbered 1,005. He spoke about plant life from the cedar of Lebanon to the hyssop that grows out of the walls. He also spoke about animals and birds, reptiles and fish. From all nations, people came to listen to Solomon's wisdom, sent by all the kings of the world who had heard of his wisdom. So we get the vibe, right, that Solomon is really wise. But if you know a little bit about Solomon, you also know there's an elephant in the room because even really wise people can have a blind spot. And for Solomon, it was women. King Solomon, however, loved many foreign women besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians and Hittites. They were from the nations about which the Lord had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. He had 700 wives of royal birth and 300 concubines. There's a conversation point as you head home. And his wives led him astray. As Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God as the heart of David his father had been. So as you read that, you go, how can someone who is so wise get it so wrong? And it's a good reminder that knowing the right thing to do isn't the same as doing it. Uh, Solomon was a hypocrite. Uh, we are hypocrites. And I think we can be particularly hypocritical when it comes to temptations that pull at the desires of our heart. Because temptation is a little bit like the current of a river heading towards a waterfall. You know, when you first get in the water, you know, the, the current feels kind of nice, it feels harmless, it's perhaps even a little bit of fun. But the further you go, the more irresistible the current becomes. And the next thing you know, you've been you know, swept over the edge. Uh, now, sin is not an irresistible force, but it certainly can feel irresistible. And the longer we play with it, the more powerful it becomes. And so we want to listen to God's inspired wisdom of Solomon, but we need to recognise that Solomon himself was not always wise. When it comes to the actual book of Solomon, uh, we know Solomon wrote lots of the Proverbs, uh, but we also know that Solomon collected a lot of Proverbs from other sources. And so, for example, as you read through the book in Proverbs 22, there's a heading titled, 30 sayings of the wise. And a number of those sayings have been clearly influenced by another Egyptian book of Proverbs that was written about 1100 BC. And so we shouldn't be too surprised about that. Egypt was a world power. Egypt was known for their wisdom and learning. And one of Solomon's wives was Pharaoh's daughter. Uh, we know Proverbs 30 is accredited to Agur, son of Jakar, and is described as an inspired utterance. 
Now, Proverbs 31 is also an inspired utterance, and it's accredited to King Lemuel. And he learnt it from his mum. We also know that the final compilation of the book wasn't complete until a long time after the life of Solomon during the reign of King Hezekiah. So it's like 250 years later. Again, we know that because there's a note in the book uh, that tells us how Hezekiah's men added more of Solomon's proverbs to the collection. And they had 3,000 to work with, right? So there's plenty of source material. Uh, So for those who like the tree for the wood, uh, here's the short version of how Proverbs is structured. Some of you are just going to glaze over right now and others are in your happy place. All right, but here's the short version, right? Uh, Chapters 1 to 9, it's in prose, so you you can actually read it and get some flow. Uh, Chapter 10 to 22 is all those pithy little statements, more Proverbs of of Solomon. 22 to 24, 30 sayings, further sayings of the wise, 24. 25 to 29 are the... Proverbs compiled by the men of Hezekiah. Then you get to chapter 30, uh, Agur, chapter 31, King Lemuel. So one last thing uh, in terms of background and context. The book is written to a young man or young men in the royal court. And so that shapes the emphasis. So when he talks about the adulterous woman, he's not saying that women are somehow more prone to adulterous behaviour. Uh, But what he is saying is he speaks to a young man that a woman is a real temptation for a young man. And so it's applicable to all of us, but there's a particular emphasis to men. And so that brings us to the theme of the book of of, uh, Proverbs, and that is wisdom. You know, we so often think about wisdom in terms of the smartest thing to do in any given situation to get the best outcome, which sounds all very reasonable, but it depends what you mean by best outcome. Is it best for me? Is it best for you? Is it best for the planet? And the answer is going to be very different depending on your end goal. And so, for example, uh, there's a guy in history, his name was uh, Niccolo Machiavelli. He was a 16th century Italian diplomat. He wrote a relatively short book called The Prince, which provided advice and wisdom for those who would seek to rule. And he made some really astute observations. So, for example, the first method for estimating the intelligence of a ruler is to look at the men he has around him. Yeah, that's a pretty insightful comment. But Machiavelli was also the ultimate pragmatist. So never attempt to win by force what can be won by deception. There's no question about whether winning is right, just this is the better way to win. Uh, As another example, uh, this is a bit of a personal favourite, if an injury has to be done uh, to a man, it should be so severe that his vengeance need not be feared. There is wisdom in both of those observations if the most important thing in the world is to retain power and especially if there is nothing greater than yourself to hold you accountable. 
In many respects, that's the wisdom of our age. As Christians, we need to be convinced that wisdom starts with God, that he created us, that he knows what works, and most importantly, he cares about what is right. So wisdom at the expense of doing what is right is not wisdom. And we see that in these opening words of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. In other passages, it's often the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. So knowledge and wisdom are bound together, and we sort of got a bit of that when Darren started our service. But both start with recognising that God is righteous and the end goal of Proverbs is righteousness. So righteousness in the Old Testament was all about loving God, obeying his commands and repenting when you get it wrong. And that love for God and obeying his commands meant loving your neighbour. And by your neighbour, he didn't mean the nice lady next door who gives you baklava. It's the foreigner who's seeking refuge and the poor and the oppressed. It's the people we find hardest to love. When we get to Jesus, the message doesn't change, but we now have a fuller picture of what it means. So we see more clearly that righteousness is not about doing good. Righteousness comes from God. It's not about simply behaviour. So if we're hoping to stand before God one day and say say to God, I'm sorry, I ignored you, but really I'm a very good person, then we are going to be tragically and eternally disappointed. Because contrary to popular belief, we really are not that good. Uh, In the words of Paul, there is no one righteous, not even one. Uh, Fortunately, as Christians, we're not relying on our own goodness or our own righteousness. We're not presuming that God will simply ignore our sin for the sake of love. In God's wisdom, the Father honours love and he deals justly with sin by choosing to send his Son. Our sin is paid for on the cross Our death is defeated in the resurrection and the authority of Jesus is established in the ascension as he goes and as he sits presently at the right hand of the Father and is given all authority in heaven and on earth. Now we might have all sorts of opinions about how God has chosen to do things. You know, in our opinion, we might have chosen to do things differently Uh, But in the end, this is God's wisdom and we either accept it or we reject it. Uh, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. So wisdom starts with the fear of the Lord and recognising his son. And wisdom's defined by the character of God. So unlike Machiavelli... Wisdom is characterised by doing what is right and just and fair. It's not that we can't do good and wise things without God. Uh, Solomon drew on a lot of wisdom from the cultures around him. But we only know what is good and wise and right and fair 
because God reveals himself to us. And increasingly, that's leaving us out of step with our world because the world, what the world thinks is right is often very different to what God has declared as right. And in the end, only one of those opinions really matters. But more and more, the world's view of right and just and fair revolves around one word, me. Uh, We don't mind us because me still gets included with us. I'm happy for us to win as long as I get to win as well. But we pretty much never talk about you unless it's about how you should help me or perhaps more often how you are getting in the way of me. But either which way, we make it all about me. Uh, There are lots of proverbs about how acting wisely will benefit me and you and us, but it can never be at the expense of doing what is right or treating you unjustly. So whatever right is, whatever wisdom is, it actually has to be wisdom for everyone. So wisdom is grounded in the fear of the Lord and righteousness, and for us living after the events of the cross, fundamental to that wisdom is recognising the authority of the Son. And so hopefully that provides at least an end goal for us. But here's a few last things to help us as we start on this journey. Uh, Firstly, wisdom is not the same as rules. Uh, A rule is an immovable object. This is how you are to behave. This must be the attitude of your heart. Wisdom is about applying God's rules as we seek to live in God's world. But even that statement requires wisdom because we live in a corrupt world. And sometimes wisdom is knowing what is the right thing to do out of the two competing rules. You know, it's the old conundrum of, you know, do you lie to protect the vulnerable person who's hiding in your house when someone's at the door threatening to murder them? That's a wisdom question. And to make things a little more complicated, part of wisdom is recognising that context counts. So the right response in one situation can be completely the wrong response in another. Uh, We see that this in Proverbs itself, so perhaps most poignantly in Proverbs 26, where it says, Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or you yourself will be just like him. The very next verse. Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Those two statements don't make sense if we're talking about rules. But they make complete sense in the context of wisdom, because different situations require different responses. Uh, Thirdly, proverbs aren't promises. So, for example, uh, Proverbs 28, the one whose way of life is blameless is kept safe, but the one whose ways are perverse will fall into the pit. We are more likely to be safe if we act wisely, but Proverbs is not saying that bad things never happen to people who have a blameless life, or bad things are happening in your life because you haven't been blameless enough. It's a generalisation. Healthy living might keep you safe in terms of illness, but there are plenty of really healthy people, healthy Christians, who still get cancer. 
If you drive within the speed limit, you are less likely to crash. But there are plenty of Christians who have car accidents and die. And there are plenty of Christians who die simply for being Christian. And the one whose ways are perverse might not fall into a pit. So both of those statements might not be true in this lifetime. It's a generalisation, they're often true, but they might not be true in this lifetime. But both will be absolutely true in the context of eternity. Because no matter what happens in the present, as Christians, we can be confident that we are safe in terms of our salvation. That neither height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Bad things might happen, but in Christ our salvation is secure. Uh, Sometimes we get caught in our sin and we might go through our entire life never being held accountable for it. But we will be held accountable. Uh, That God does see our sin and one day we will all stand before God and our sin will be laid bare. The sin of some are obvious, reaching the place of judgment ahead of them. The sin of others trails behind them. If we've repented and face our sin with Christ, then we know we are safe. Uh, But if we choose to remain defiant, then we face that pit alone. Uh, The worst mistake that we can make is believing that God or mistaking God's patience for him somehow endorsing our sin or not caring. Because that leaves us with this false sense of security. Nothing bad has happened, so everything must be fine. Um, But God will hold us accountable. Uh, Finally, if all of these feelings are a bit overwhelming, you think, well, how does anyone be wise in all of this? then take some comfort from the Apostle James. If any of you lack wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. And he answers that prayer through his word, and he convicts us and guides us through his spirit. So his word teaches us what is wise and foolish, but also gives us a whole bunch of examples of what wisdom looks like in real life. We see it in the lives of people and often we see it in, you know, we see as much what we should do as we see what we shouldn't do. Now, certainly as you read the Old Testament, it's almost one big story of what you shouldn't do. But it's all there for us to recognise the wisdom of God. And of course, the ultimate wisdom is seen in Christ. And if we're trying to imitate Christ, then we need to align our thinking with what God wants for us. And so we need to ask ourselves some questions. I put up three, but I reckon there's a whole lot more you could ask. But here's a starting point. Does this decision honour God? Is it consistent with me obeying his commands? Is the outcome right and just and fair? And as we do wise things, we discover that not only have we done what is right, but things also tend to work out better. Let me pray. Dear Lord, we thank you for your word. And today we we thank you particularly for your word in Proverbs. And we pray that for each of us, 
that we might have a fear of the Lord, that we might desire to be righteous before you. And so, Lord, help each of us to, to recognise the Lordship of your Son. And then, Lord, help each of us to recognise then how do we live in light of who you are and what you've done for us. Amen. Thank you.